Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 140. A little bit of limes in my life. Come on, everybody. Mambo number nine. Do, 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 do. Hello, everybody. I believe Albert's rules for those intros were that he wasn't going to dance, so... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was not dancing. Oh, dear. Well, welcome back, everyone. Happy... Yeah, I hope I, you had a happy Thanksgiving. Definitely doing pop culture references back from my high school era. I don't know. Oh, is it? I don't know what era that's that's for Albert, but yeah, that's an older reference for me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really follow this song at all. When did it come out? I have no idea. Um... <laughs> the song we're referring to, by the way, for anyone who's not for anyone who's not familiar with it, is Mambo Number no. Five. By Lou because Bega. it may be that there are people who've never heard of it. Yeah, it is released in 1999. Oh yeah, no, I was living in San Francisco. I wasn't listening to this kind of stuff then. I was listening to <laughs> shoot. I don't know what I was listening to. I was living in San Francisco. Yeah, that was high school for me. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, so we're we're sort of in a bit of a tangent here. We do actually have stuff to talk about today. Maybe we could talk about it. Albert, you say you want to talk about board games on a board game related podcast? No. I figured we were going to start talking about video games. Let's do a video game podcast. You want to do it's, it? Hey, we could talk about fountain pens. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. All right. Well, that, then let's talk about board games and board game related stuff. And you know, we actually got an email about board games. Hey, from who? We did from uh, Knuckles29 on BGG, Travis. He sent an email asking about uh, States of Siege games. Uh, some general comments. And he was wondering about We Must Tell the Emperor, which is a States of Siege game you know, by Victory Point Games. Is it really worth the cost? It's a little bit pricey. Um, this game went out of print a few years ago. It was available for a short time. And then apparently uh, Victory Point Games and the designer had a disagreement about, I don't know, licensing or, or whatever, the contracts. And so they stopped making the game. Um, they still make other games with the designers, so it seems they, they have perfectly fine relationships. Just that one specifically, not so great. Um, it is not worth the price. I doubt it. I mean, I'm sure it's a fine game, but I, I think it's... Gosh, how much is it going for? Let's ask the internet. Let's ask BGG. So the, there is currently a copy on BGG, and it's going for about $125 for the States of Siege game. This is a small Ziploc bag type game. Um... And it would be in a Ziploc bag. This was before the box. I would say, I mean, unless you're a collector and you're just trying to get the entire series, it's not worth it. Uh, like I said, I'm sure it's a perfectly fine game and, and it's great. I can't imagine it's a $125 game. Um, if you're interested in States of Siege, and maybe instead of that, you could spend less than that amount and get Ottoman Sunset and Habsburg Eclipse, two other States of Siege games that could be combined to make a mega game. And that was the second part of, of uh, Travis's question. He was he was asking about that, if, if we have ever tried playing that mega game. I have not. I actually, I had Ottoman Sunset, and I now have Habsburg Eclipse. I haven't opened Habsburg Eclipse yet and played it. I didn't enjoy Ottoman Sunset so much. There's one part in the game where at some point you draw a card, and the British start attacking up, a, I think, a straight. Um, and it's a naval attack, and, if, and you do a few dice rolls, and if they reach... Constantinople and attack successfully, you lose the game instantly. And it just it just felt so gamey for that. You know, you do a couple of things to prepare for it, but the, the fact that even then it was still a very gamey chance to just lose outright without any any chance to do anything about it at that point, I did not like that at all. I loved the game otherwise. There's a lot of interesting things in there that I thought were really fantastic, but that just killed it for me. <laughs> I haven't played, like I said, I haven't played a Habsburg Eclipse, but I do want to try it. I bet you it doesn't have that same mechanic in it. Now, it's neat. These two games are based on World War One, and it's two different fronts that happened during World War One. So you could sort of play the whole war, so to speak, by playing the two games. So, so there we go. So that's the answer to that question. Did you also see the comments on our Discord chat about a GM-less RPG system? Yes. Yes, I saw those, and you talked a little bit on those. I, I didn't really follow it too much. Are you familiar with GMless 
RPG systems? Yes. I, I would expect you to be more familiar with those than I am. I'm actually not. I haven't played many of those. I, I like them. So tonight I played Untold with my children. Um, love these kids. And it is basically a DMS RPG in which we're cooperatively building a story together and telling it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it went okay. My, my son very much wants to do things on his own and, and be a hero. And that kind of took away the fun of the cooperativeness. Because whatever plans we would make, he would just do something differently anyway. Um, so I don't play a lot of those. I would love to play them more. There's a few. I would expect that those would play pretty well also. The, I mean, the idea of what they were looking for was one to two player friendly. Yes. And I would expect that you'd be more familiar with that than I am. Yeah, and I think those will work well. I do think those DMS games tend to play better with higher player counts because the more people you have, the, the more unexpected ideas you're going to come across in the game, right? You, you could have all sorts mm-hmm. of plans and somebody else sees things differently and they'll throw a curve you just never saw. And that's what makes those games fun. I've tried a couple mm-hmm. of those solo, and for me, they just don't work so well solo because they're too predictable. They come out so exactly the way I planned it. a different system to make solo work well. I think so. Some, something to add unexpectedness, mm-hmm. which is why I like using, like, say, Rory Story Cubes in that situation. Yeah, which I still don't... I, I mean, I tried it. I don't get it. Okay. <laughs> Yep. It's, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel enough like a game as opposed to just telling a story, writing a novel to me. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah. I and I do think it is a lot of writing a novel, but you know, I like that. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I hear yeah. that. I mean I'm not gonna no. I'm not saying <laughs> No, no, I, I know I understand. Um so, so you, it was certainly an interesting discussion. I'd like to hear if anybody else has any more answers on either of those questions. We'd definitely be able to focus more on those if if anybody had any suggestions or anything like that they want us to talk about, I'm, I'd love to hear from listeners about that. Absolutely, yep. Yep. I know there's another RPG that I remember coming across. A couple of them, there were two players specifically. I need to find those. I know one of them is a, a Lovecraftian RPG for two players that uses dominoes somehow in, in the mechanics. And there's another one that I think was free and I printed out. I don't remember the name at all. But it's set on Mars, and you are trying to manage a Mars colony somehow. And I think the two people playing are managers of the colony or something like that. And, and it looked really interesting, but like I, said, I haven't tried it. I'll look for that. I'll look notes for that. But, you know, you, you mentioned our Discord channel. You know, we haven't mentioned that in a while, but we do have a Discord channel. And we do have some conversations there occasionally. People should come and find us. You know, add to noise a little bit because it is awful quiet there. And I've definitely mentioned that it's a lot easier for me to be act- more active there than on BGG, just based on how much time I'm on my phone oh. <laughs> versus how much time I'm at a computer. And BGG just doesn't work well on the phone. Right. And if anybody's not familiar, Discord is like a – it's a group chat thing, sort of like a Slack chat, right, similar mm-hmm. to that. And you could go on there and have conversations and start different threads and – Intentionally make different forms and whatnot. And we'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes. Yep, good idea. Salbert, I hear that you're really excited about D-Day Dice. Yes, there's a new Kickstarter for D-Day Dice, the second edition. Now, if listeners have been listening to the show for a while, you may remember that there's a Kickstarter for the first edition, gosh, probably about five years ago. Um, D-Day Dice is a, a game, it's a cooperative game for one to four players, in which you are you're using dice to 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 well you how am I trying to say you're you're going up a beach you're you're uh, storming the beaches of Normandy and whatnot during World War Two on D Day and is a dice game in which you're just rolling a lot of dice trying to get different uh, resources to help you advance and storm the beaches. This was on Kickstarter a few years ago. It um, I would say infamously did extremely well. To the point where where it probably did too well and and hurt the company that that ran the Kickstarter Valley Games, who eventually failed. I think largely because of this this game. Um, it's a fun game. It's a light game. It's you know it's a dice game. There's strategy in it, but it's a dice game, so it's not deep strategy. Um, there's a, it's on Kickstarter again, which is really exciting. It looks a lot like the first edition. The style of it looks very similar. Apparently, if you have the first edition and you get maps from the second edition, you will be able to play with them and use them. There is an upgrade kit for it if you want for the to convert your first edition to second edition, and that gives you. Oh, uh, what does it give you? Let me see. 
the battle maps from 2nd edition, all the cards, and the four player aids that came with it. You don't actually necessarily need it, only if you plan to play with the new expansions. And that's because they offer new card types and components, and um, otherwise you could probably just mix and match without having an upgrade kit. For those of us who aren't familiar with D-Day Dice, though, I don't think you've really told us what D-Day Dice is. Um, <laughs> I didn't do it well. Like I said, it's it's sort of a Yahtzee-style game, kind of. You you roll dice, you roll six dice every turn, and they're going to determine what kind of resources you get. Whatever whatever you roll, you're going to get those resources. But you're, you're going to want different types of resources to help you advance on the beach. And depending where you are on the board at the time, different resources benefit you. Um, now, the neat thing about this game is no matter what you roll, you're going to get something for every single roll you get. Except for, there's a, I think it's a skeleton, and that one is bad. But the rest are all good things. You will get resources, and either they'll help you advance and whatnot, or they'll let you buy upgrades. Uh, maybe better types of units or equipment that you could use. And your goal is basically to advance on the board until you reach the, the bunker at the end and, and attack the bunker. Mm-hmm. Um... There's, you know, there's strategy when you're rolling. There's three different color dice, a red, white, and blue. And you get certain benefits if you roll things in the right color combinations, which is nice. You don't need it, but it definitely does help and give you give you some nice bonuses. And it's a, it's a nice game. It's a light game. I like it. You know, it plays pretty well. There's tons of maps for it and all that and, and tons of different uh, components and things you could use. So I don't know. Hopefully that helps. Did that make sense? Did that not make sense? Yeah, no, I'm fine with okay. that. I mean, it certainly makes sense to me. I'm I'm interested in trying to play it out. Um, I know that I, I've saw the original D-Day Dice, but never picked up a copy. And I do like dice games as long as there's you know good strategic components to it, good decision-making. And here, the question of what you want to upgrade, how you want to use your dice, if you want to try and march forward, if you want to hold back and try and get more resources... Um, you know, it, and the dice look really nice. I think it looks like something I'd be interested in. Um, but mm-hmm. I have not looked into it very much right now. So I don't that, know that much about okay. it. Yeah. And I, I do think, like I said, there's choices. It's, it's still a light game, but there's gonna be choices. You could stay at the space shore for a few turns and that helps. So you can want to do that if you can. Um, there's multiple paths to the bunker and, you know, there's different consequences depending which way you go, so you kind of make choices about which way you go. And mm-hmm. those choices may be partially driven depending on what you're rolling in the early game or just whatever you're in the mood for also. And, um, you know, you, you could advance forward, you could go to the side. So there's lots of different ways you could deal with it. And each map does play a little bit differently. There's going to be different obstacles along the path and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this is on Kickstarter. It is being, I guess it's coming from UK now. It's a different publisher. Uh, who is this? And I certainly expect they've learned lessons from the last Kickstarter of it too. Oh, yeah, you know, they actually do mention that. The the last Kickstarter had trouble because it, it was so darn successful. They kept adding stretch goals and stretch goals. You know, I, I got this game and all these expansions and a tin box and magnets and a really cool bag to carry it all in. And and I think all those stretch goals ended up costing a lot of money, and it really hurt the publisher in in fulfilling all this. And you know they still did it; they did a fantastic job with it, I think. But it ultimately caused the company to fail. This time they've learned their lesson. They they are going to charge shipping separately, depending on what you get. <laughs> so so everybody gets you know individual shipping quotes, I guess. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although I see that they still are using early birds. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. So if you are an early bird, <laughs> you know, it's a bit I, cheaper. I, I I don't like early birds on Kickstarter. That annoys me. You know, that I think that's it it's just a, a, you know, Kickstarter has a problem with all the exclusives and stuff, and people hate those. And to me, the early birds are just another exclusive that I don't get to get. Right. Yeah. And I don't like Kickstarter exclusives either. Yeah. You know, to... to I, I do not like Kickstarter exclusives. I do not like early birds. And often if I see something being offered with a significant early bird here, it's like two bucks. Like, I don't know how much that would trigger me, but if like the game is $15 more because I'm a day late and backing, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to back it. If you make it to retail, good. I'll look at you at retail. But if you're going to make it like 
I'm a day late. No, just no. I'll wait till retail. Good day, sir. Yeah, that that, that could definitely be frustrating. I totally get that. And so, so how much is this game? It is thirty-five pounds or more for the base game. About forty-six dollars for us Americans. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you're defaulting to because that's what my browser is showing me by default. And yeah, I could read the small text. And by the way, this is published by Word Word Forge Games, um, and they are working with the original designer. Right? Oh, and another thing, Valley Games, the original publisher, I think it's Valley Games, had also kickstarted another game, Airboard in My Pocket, which they were never able to fulfill. Unfortunately, the, the company um, busted before that happened. Apparently, these folks are going to try and print that game and include it with this I think as a stretch go and send it out to the folks that backed the original one but never got it which is a real nice gesture you know something they don't have to do but they want to do right by all those backers and so that is very cool the game is doing pretty well right now I mean oh yeah it's well funded they are doing stretch goals yeah. some of these stretch goals definitely look really nice you know, you know? they're more than 10 times over they're, it looks like they're about 12 times over their, their initial goal of mm-hmm. $15,000 yeah, those, yeah, it looks good. Those stretchers, and you know, you're you're talking about those really nice pink dice you want to get there a few minutes ago. Oh yes, those <laughs> pink dice. Yeah, those pink dice. This is one of those kickstarters that has so much options and so much stuff available and potentially unlockable that my sort of glaze over when I look at everything because I I don't know where to start reading. I mean, in all honesty, <laughs> you mentioned those pink dice. And I think I mentioned it before, like most recent, we were talking about it for One Deck Dungeon. But my daughter, if there's something girly about a game, it will always draw her. And Mm -hmm. when there's not something girly in the game, it doesn't draw her. So I really hear where things are coming from. And like if if this set of pink dice came in the game and you can play as the pink characters she will want to play with the pink dice every time. (laughs) And, And it'll get her excited about the game. Yeah, which is neat. Yeah, yeah I mean that's and true. that's good. It's more inclusive. Unfortunately, is it a, a stretch goal that's a bit high, and I'm sure they'll make it. But it's also an no, add-on, so you have to pay for these dice. They'll make it. Oh yeah, they're only. Is it an add-on? Yeah, actually, no. Oh, it is an add-on. Yeah, it's an add-on. They're currently at 150k, and it's 160 for the pink dice. But yep, I mean, and there's still, I, I think there's still content available from the original that you could, if you go online, you'll find available. Like I think uh, BGG mm-hmm. may still have some of the promos even. So I don't know if these those ones can be included in, with this or not, but you may want to look into that and pick a couple up where they're still there, if they're still there. Anyway, Albert, we have two games that we want to talk about this week. <sighs> That's so a let's lot. Let's get moving. Okay, move on. D-Day Dice. Move, move out. Move, it. move out. Let's talk about the first game. Number nine? Number nine. Okay. So, number nine is a tile placement game. The game comes with um, 80 different tiles, eight each, and the numbers, the tiles are numbered zero to nine, but in reality, they're all different shapes, and each of them are sort of representational of their shapes. So the zero is sort of like a donut shape, whereas the nine is sort of a nine shape. And then it comes with 20 numbered cards. Uh, so two each, and each of those cards are from zero to nine. The goal of the game is that you'll have all the tiles in the, in the box, and you'll shuffle up that deck. You'll pull one of the cards from the deck, and whatever number that is, you'll put it on your board. You will continue to try and stack tiles, you're only allowed to put a tile on top of another tile if nothing of the tile is hanging over. So it all has to be on top. And because all of those tiles have interesting holes and gaps and spots in them, you'll have to sort of Tetris it all around to continue making your pyramid so that nothing's going to be hanging over. You'll keep doing that, go through all 20, um, which will mean that you'll have 20 pieces on your board at the end of the game. And then you will total up your score at the end of the game. The bottom level is called your zero level, 
every level above that's a first, second, third. You will multiply the value of the tile by the by the level it is on, and that is your total score. Um, in multiplayer, you're trying to beat everybody else's score. In solo, you're just trying to beat your own score. Um, the game recommends trying to get a hundred points. <laughs> ah, right, hundred points. Um, but beat your own score and win. I am almost halfway there. <laughs> you're almost, you're almost halfway there. Nice. Almost halfway there. Yeah. I had, the, I had been planning correctly at first. I didn't realize you could have the number facing any direction, and so my scores oh, really? were pretty low in the low forties. And then I realized my mistake, and I played. And my score stayed in the low 40s. <laughs> <laughs> so I am I am a good person to play against. Definitely. Well, my high score is actually close to that. Okay. My high score is 40 to 50. <coughs> okay. So. 50. Wow. We, that's that, that's an elusive goal for me. We are quite similar. Yeah, I broke 50. I broke 50. Nice. I, I, I felt that was an achievement. <laughs> I've broken 50 once. Um, and the rules call out saying a hundred is an excellent score. I'm like, ha ha. Yeah, ha, definitely. That right. is excellent. <laughs> Indeed. I'm never going to get there. Oh, you know, one thing we didn't mention it is extremely important. Everybody listen to this. Don't miss this. Cause when you go look for the game, you're going to ask your friendly local game store if they have it. You're going to search it online. You're going to go to BG, whatever. You're not going to find it. It is called N M B R nine. It's the word number without any vowels. Number nine, and then nine, the number, not and then nine, the, the and word. then nine. But if you could spell number, you'll find it. At that point, it should be pretty easy. I think you can stop making that grunt of effort. <laughs> you know, I went to my store a few times and asked them for the game, and they never heard of it, couldn't find it because I didn't realize the spelling was weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, your store should really be more up on releases because if I walk into my store, I'm doing a shout out to Comic Seller over here in Memphis. If I walk into my store and I say number nine, they'll be like, oh, yeah, great game. We definitely know about that. And and I don't need to do any spelling stuff. <laughs> so you need to go lecture your store and tell them, listen, guys, yeah. get up on the beat here. Anyway. I'll, um, I'll have them call, call your comic seller store and, and, you know, take some pointers from them. Exactly. They'll, they'll that's the plan. Board game. What is it? Boardwalk Games is a fantastic store. Definitely. <laughs> Good. Best place ever. Yes. I think both of us actually we've we've heard Tom Vassell. If you haven't heard Tom Vassell talk about, um, there's no need for game stores. I think both of us actually are blessed to have good, friendly local game stores. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But that is very much a tangent. Um, let's go back to number nine. Okay. So you you talked about the rules already. Yeah, I've, I've basically read through the whole rules. <laughs> I, I don't think I exactly read through the whole rules. But, hey, guys, that is the rules right there. This this is a super easy learn yeah. game to play. It's got one double-sided page for the rules. Right. Welcome to the How to Play podcast. And just that is you. it. <laughs> yeah. So theme for this game. I mean, there's no, if you want to give it a theme, it's math. And even that's before a bit of a stretch. We move to the, before we move to theme, I just want to say one thing about the rules. Yeah. Um, when I read through it, I know there's a paragraph that says that the zeroth layer, that the bottom layer is called zeroth, and there's even a picture there that says it's zeroth. Um, the first time I played, I was playing, I was introducing the game to other people, um, and I had read through the rules and I thought I did a good job. Well, I missed that, and so it says score based on your layer, and it doesn't say back at scoring. Oh, hey, everybody, remember. Actually, it does say that, but I missed it there, too. I just missed it everywhere. And the bottom layer is your zero layer, so anything that you put in the bottom layer scores you no points, which should be obvious just based on game design, but I missed it. Um, and just be aware of that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> just if make you're, sure that you're aware you know, of it. If you're playing in a group setting, it probably doesn't matter because if everybody's making the same mistake, it balances out. No, because if you're... If you're doing it that way, it really reduces a lot of strategy because you can always just drop something on the bottom layer and not be challenged to think upwards. Mm, okay. And all yeah, the challenges yeah, right. in moving up. You're right. That was totally wrong. It's super easy to put something on the bottom, um, which was my first game I played. I was like, man, I should be getting a lot of points and this isn't so challenging. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, 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 that was not good. Well, the <laughs> first I, good. the first time I played, I played with my son and I told him, yeah, you, you don't get points for the bottom numbers you get points for the ones you place above them 
And and he mm. didn't realize he, I meant stacking. So his numbers were just all flat on the table, one above the other, <laughs> going up the length nice. of the table. He says, this is easy. Oh. Nice. N- not quite. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to Europe also, by the way? Yes. Why? Um, because I find it funny that in Europe, the floor above ground level is called first floor. Oh, I had Whereas in the U.S., that's not true. In the U.S., ground level is called first floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, hey, it's a really European game. <laughs> it's a Euro game. There you go. The theme is European high-rises. Could be. <laughs> so you were saying that the theme here is math? At, yeah, I'll agree with at, you on that. Yeah, I mean, and even that's a bit of a stretch because there's, I mean, there's math in it because you're multiplying and adding, but. The theme is it's just totally an abstract. Numbers. Yeah, it really is. But it's a beautiful looking abstract. It is, absolutely. I mean, talk about the components. The tiles are are nice and chunky. Um they feel really good. The box insert is is really good. It holds mm-hmm. all the tiles in place. Sorted it's by numbers. All, it's yep. all form fitted, so each number only fits in its spot. And it it all gets sorted out and it holds it all nice and tight and it's got a spot for the cards in there too. And it's a really good insert. Yep. As a matter of I mean, as you're playing, you flip game, the card. It's a really good insert. As you're playing, you flip the card and you just take out the, the number you need as you're playing. You don't have to like pull anything out beforehand. I mean, it's super convenient while you're playing. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing solo, you don't even have to take out all the components. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So, the, so in terms of gameplay, well... Yeah, we've said everything. The only drawback is the box is way deep. It's twice as deep as it needs to be. Right? It's, you know, it's just taking up more space on the shelf for no reason. They are putting out promos, and I know that they're intending on doing some other neat stuff with it. Like, they oh. do have two promos right now. They have the uh, the starting tile promos, because currently, if you want to, and when I'm playing multiplayer, I kind of see that this happens, but... When you, if you want to, you sort of have some mirroring that occurs in the start of the game. But if everyone has a unique start tile, so that mirroring isn't going to get cut down a lot. So they have that promo, and then they have, I call it the cathedral promo, um, even though it's not called the cathedral one, and that's a reference to Carcassonne. Um, on your turn, you have this spare tile. It's a tiny three-square three tile that on your turn, in addition to the regular tile, you can put it down. But that's a once-per-game thing, and so you want to sort of use it judiciously. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a so, comma. Oh, it's a comma is what's supposed <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. It's a, it looks like a little comma. So so now your numbers could go into the thousands. Mm-hmm. Or in Europe, it could be a decimal. I see. I don't <laughs> think it works that way, but okay. But yeah, uh, I call it the Cathedral Cousin uh, Carcassonne if you're playing with the Cathedral expansion. So every player has a wild tile. Then instead of drawing, they can put out their wild tile and get points from it. Mm-hmm. Relevant. But that's what, that's why I call it that, because they don't have any name for it. Um, or they don't have a good name for it. Yeah, they call it but, the extra tiles. Yeah, so they are putting out expansions to it, and so when you have, or promos and things to it, and I know that they want to do more stuff with it, or at least they claim they want to do more stuff with it. And there is some sense for having a bigger box, so you can just throw that stuff in the box. But on the other hand, it's also one of their standard size boxes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's why they did that. That's the truth of why they did well, that. Well, yeah. It's, it, you know, it ends up being cheaper because they just have tons that size, and it stacks exactly. better on their shelves. Exactly. Yep. Um. So okay. And the so, gameplay is really good. I think speaking oh, yeah. speaking on our next point on on the rubric that we have, in terms of the gameplay, I really like the gameplay. It's really strategic. Um, very much gives you a lot of thought. A lot of there's there's a lot of skill that goes into it, and it's a learned skill. This is not like an obtuse type of skill. You know, it's not like chess where I'm going to be like reading books and trying to really build up for it. It's a skill that I I feel like I can start getting better at seeing how to do this and thinking, thinking in Tetris. I feel like thinking in portals, yeah. but thinking in Tetris and trying to figure it all out. And I feel like it's a skill that just continued practice and repetition can very much build on and make you better at. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, the first couple of games you play stuff and 
you're not really sure how to do it and towards the end of the game you're realizing you have these horrible gaps and everything's kind of useless and you get like seven points but as you play it more you start noticing the patterns and how you want to use the tiles and i think it it takes a little thinking just to a little practice just to learn how to think for this game yeah, and I'm sure that there's going to start being some people who are going to start writing strategy about, well, if you have the 8 on top of the 9, there's this is the optimal move. And it may be that this is the sort of game that theoretically could be solved about mm-hmm. how to most precisely fit in everything like that. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. There's there's an interesting thread on PGG. Somebody said, what what is the highest score you could get if, if you just get all the numbers and just plan it out? You know, not even draw it randomly. And I think he got something like a hundred and seventy or something like that. Nice. Yeah. And you know, this this is just looking at him and thinking about it and moving the pieces like a puzzle. So yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure it's the sort of thing that could theoretically be solved, but I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah, so years from that. <laughs> if ever. Um, what else? Anything else about the gameplay? Um you know, it's simple and it's fast. It just goes quickly when you're done. You're ready for another because mm-hmm. it's just so so simple and so fast. And yeah, it it's really like, easy to reset. It takes like 10, 15 minutes to play yeah. solo. Yep. I think it takes maybe 20 minutes to play multiplayer. Yeah, it doesn't add much at all. Nah. Really. And it's because everybody's everyone's in, playing simultaneously. Yep, exactly. So each turn it takes as long as the slowest person for that turn. That's all. Um. So the solo game... Um. You know, it's it's multiplayer solo. Everybody's doing the same exact thing, right? It's just they're doing it different. And you compare scores at the end. It's it's a beat your high score type game. Mm-hmm. So so the solo is basic, just that like the multiplayer game, without the comparing scores at the end. It's the exact same. This is one of the, this is a relatively uncommon thing where you are doing the exact same thing regardless of whether or not there's another player there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people say Agricola's multiplayer solo. No, no, this is. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody say Agricola's multiplayer. I've heard, solo. I haven't heard that in a while, but yeah, people people call it that because yeah. you're you're sort of focusing your own thing. I think that's true when you're new, maybe. But anyway, um, one interesting thing I'll note about playing solo, because when you're playing multiplayer, you're trying to beat other players' score, so you have the deck. I've found it interesting to. Instead of shuffling, again, this is a fast game that you can just play a couple times in a row. I found it interesting, instead of shuffling the deck between resetting, to actually just flip the deck over. I now sort of semi-remember, like I'm not trying to remember what comes next, but I sort of semi-remember what comes next. Beat your own score. Do something different, but try and beat your own score through the same deck. It's, It's straight you're fighting with yourself. Mm-hmm. I hadn't tried that, but that sounds fun. That sounds like an interesting mm-hmm. challenge. Yeah, because then you're normally you're baselining yourself of someone else. So sometimes, at the very least, I've found, and I'm not, I'm not an expert at number nine. I'm definitely not. But I've found that you know sometimes the decks just I I see better how to make better solutions for how to go through it than other times when I'm playing it. But when I'm doing the same deck over and over again i know that my score is actually showing improvement and not just that it's the deck it's me and i don't know i like feeling good about myself and thinking <laughs> yeah. hey i know that i did a better job <coughs> this time Mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it's a neat game it's a neat light game i like it it's great if you're gonna you know you get home from dinner from from work you got half an hour before dinner or something you could pull it out play a couple rounds easily mm-hmm. no problem which is nice I've asked the Albert. Do you like playing this more solo or multiplayer? Um, I think I've enjoyed the multiplayer because I I enjoy the comparing scores at the end and seeing what the people did differently than I did. See, that's something interesting for me. I maybe like it better with solo than multiplayer because when I'm playing multiplayer, I don't get the opportunity to see what somebody else did different than me. I just get to hear that they either beat me or they didn't. <laughs> and if they beat okay. me, I'm like, oh well. How did that happen? I don't know. They already deconstructed the whole deck to score it. Uh, I, the it, everyone's playing simultaneously. I don't see how someone else did it or what they did better. When I'm playing solo, I don't have that comparison, and my competitive nature sort of isn't 
coming up to bite me and saying, hey, they beat you. How do they do it? I don't have that struggle. I just get to go through it myself again and try and beat myself again with my own better learning skills. Granted, that means that I can't learn from somebody else how they did it, but I wasn't getting that experience anyway, so it's not that big mm-hmm. a deal. So I actually prefer this solo than multiplayer. Okay, interesting. But yeah, what you say does make sense because it, it's hard to score it without taking it apart. Because it is yeah. much easier if you take all the top row tiles out and set them together, then take all the tiles in the row below that and set them on the next line and so on, and then score each row once you've straightened it out like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the closest thing I've got to learning was where someone just says, oh, man, I just saw how to do it. And look, if you I saw and I knew that this had to come out here because I knew which ways they go. So this was going to come out. So I was holding this one to store this one. And I did this. But without really having that post game sort of dissection, you don't really get it all out. Yep. And so that's just my feelings on it. I just want to mention, by the way, the game is not a very expensive game. Uh, You can get on a miniature market for under 25 bucks. Its MSRP is only about thirty, mm-hmm. or under twenty-five bucks. Yep. But if MSRP. you can't spell um, it, you can't find it. N M B R. Nine. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. job. <laughs> yep. Thank you. So, so pros. I mean, I li- I like the game. It's fast. It's fun. It's it's interesting Tetris puzzle. Very nice components. Yep. Absolutely. Play, and any cons, great. Albert? Um. It's hard. It's really hard, and maybe that's also a pro. That, that... Uh, I had to put I had to put a scoreboard, a, a, a deck, a, a score sheet in the box. I wish they would have included uh, that. Okay. For as nice as all the other components are, they didn't include a deck sheet, a score sheet. Okay. That would have been a nice thing, but I just I, I had something I printed off. I cut a bunch of them and I just stuck them in the box. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I have any other complaints, the only other thing I can think of really is that box is so big. And I realize you said there's going to be expansions for it, but I mean, that, that's it. You know, I can't think of anything else. So your final score for me, strong thumbs up. Yes, really I did. Really like up. this one. Yep. Absolutely. Very much like it. So that is number nine. We've gone through this pretty fast, but we're going to move on to Limes. All right. Put the lime and the coconut and mix it all around. <laughs> this is such a musical episode. I'm a very musical person, Albert. Have you <laughs> never noticed this? You are. It's true. It is true. The So limes. What do we have about limes? I mean... Well, if you mix them with, uh, with alcohol, you can make a margarita. <laughs> okay. So that's the theme of this game. I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I didn't figure that out. So this is this is a tile lane game. It's another tile lane game. Um... This came out in 2014 from Abacus Beal, and it is by Martin F. This game, you know, similar similar to number nine, you're laying tiles, trying to get the highest score you can by placing the tiles efficiently. The The scoring works differently, and you're going to make a 4x4 four four grid. Of, and every time it's going to be 16 tiles exactly. Um, like Limes, it's a multiplayer solo in that everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. And what makes the score different is how you do it. But each turn, everybody places the same tile on the board, on their board. Um, gee, I just kind of gave you a summary and almost half the rules right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we have a theme for this episode. We, we kind of do, and it's these uh, multiplayer solo games or something. Um, one, one page, multiplayer solo games. <laughs> yep. We, we need to snap your theme. Huh? We need, we need to snap your way to say that. Say what? Oh, oh, multiplayer. The theme for the podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to get it here. Games where it doesn't matter if you have friends over or not. Isn't uh, that the whole podcast? Well, no, because if, if you have friends over, some games you really couldn't play. Right? But this one, if, you, if they're there or if they're not there, it's not going to make any difference in how you play your game. Right? Whether it's four people playing or one person playing. I don't know. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay, so so right, so so I gave you a pretty quick summary of the game. Um, you're, you're building. I I don't know what the theme is exactly, and and it's, I guess I'm sort of jumping here, but the you're building a a village or a forest or something or, or Limetopia. I don't know what it is. You're placing tiles that that represent a map. Theoretically, you're building a Roman city, 
and you're trying to make it defensible against the barbarians, but oh. also make it economic so that it's worth defending. I see. Okay, the back of the box in mine is, is in German, and I couldn't tell what it was. Oh, well, it would help if you got the English version that um, is not in existence. Oh, <laughs> and we'll get to that, won't we? Um, so the rules, right? So this game, you're placing tiles. We said it's it's a game for two players, actually. It, it brings two sets, and it's one or two players. And what would happen is if you're playing two players, one person would draw a tile and look at it, and it has a number, and the other person would find that same number, and both people would place that tile. In solo game, you don't have to worry about waiting for the other person to do that. You would just draw your tile and place it. Each tile has, uh, I think, three or four different shapes on it. It's divided into four squares, and those four squares could be made up of one or more regions. Each tile will have two types of regions. There could be forests, there could be fields, rivers, and towers. Uh, each of those regions matter because they're scored a little bit differently. For example, the, the water tiles, the, the lakes or rivers, are scored based on how many, I think it's boats or huts, are adjacent to that ocean, that river, that lake, that body of water. At the when, Once you finish the game, you know, your body of water is going to expand and expand. And you're going to go all the way around the border of it and count the number of... Is it boats or is it huts? I don't recall. Anyway, I guess it doesn't matter. Whatever the feature is. <laughs> I was going to say, I have no idea. Yeah. I think the the forest... Oh, I don't remember exactly. I think you score the forest based on how many tiles it has. The, the other one, the fields, are going to be scored based on how many regions are adjacent to it. And the tower is going to be scored based on how many forest spaces it can see from where it's at. Um, and and that so each one scores a little bit different. So as you're placing your tiles, you're trying to place them strategically so that it gets the most score. It, you know, not knowing what's coming up in the future. That, that's what makes it tricky. That's that's how the game works. Um, anything else you want to say about the rules? Nope. Okay. We we mentioned the theme. You're building your Limetopia to defend it from the barbarians. <laughs> the the components uh, so it brings a bunch of square tiles. That, that's basically it, right? Yep. Um, and and meeples. And, and meeples. Oh, that's right. Because you place. I forgot the meeples. I'm sorry. Back to the rules. You can only score a tile if you if it has a meeple on it. So when you place it, at that point, you could decide if you want to place a meeple. I think you have six meeples total. Six or nine? Seven. Seven, okay. So you're only going to score a few of the regions. You're not going to score everything. Um, when you place the tile, you could choose to place one of your few meeples on one of the four s- sections of that tile to type to score that region. Um, so so you got to decide where you're going to score, you know, what you want to score, and then you try and place everything based on that later. Um, so it brings the meeples and the tiles and the rules, and that's it in a small box. And it's for two players. One set of tiles, I think, is greenish and one is bluish. Um, so it depends what color mood you're in. You'd pick a different set. Um, Gameplay? Any gameplay comments? As as with the other one, um, <laughs> I think, well, at least for this one, well, let me put it to you this way. There actually is no copy of this that is local to me here in Memphis. Um, so I've actually been playing the online version of it, which is actually a really good version. If you're familiar with um, Century Spice Road, so it feels like the same type of thing, it's a pretty good online version of Limes. And we may talk later about Limes being hard to to grab, um, but the online version is pretty good. So I've only been playing it online and on my computer. And even then, it's been pretty fun, you know, just to play around and do whatever it is that you want with it and how to play through it. So that's fun. I kind of wish that it were more um, intuitive to me, perhaps, about how all the different things score. Like with number nine, it's really very intuitive. You score points, it's tile times level. But this one, they all have sort of different ways that they score and what they do. And, you know, I don't have a physical copy, so I don't know if a physical copy has that somewhere. 
to make it easier to to keep track of but at the very least the online one didn't yeah i mean the so. rules will have it right but that's it 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 is that is true the scoring is a little bit weird and it sort of seems arbitrary how they decided you know why is it that the river the water scores for the buildings around the water mm-hmm. versus something else right why why does the tower score everything in a straight line it, it the tower does make sense i guess because you could see far or something but it does feel arbitrary and a little hard yeah, but there's no indication of it on the tiles. Nope. If the tiles themselves said, like, I'll, I'll try and cite to another design, between two cities. So each tile has a small indication of how it scores and what it does. There's no such thing with that one. You can't tell how it scores. And each one scores very differently. Yeah. With King Domino, every single tile scores exactly the same. It's number of tiles times how much it is because they didn't have anything to differentiate the different features other than colors. And it just, to me, it feels like they, they dropped something there and making that more intuitive to be played. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I, I will say the learning curve for this, I think is lower than the learning curve for a number nine with the, the spatialness, the spatial aspect of number nine. You're saying um, how to play it. Well, how to play it. Well, yeah, you, I think yeah. you'll learn it quicker. Um, the, the big hurdle being here, keeping track of that weird scoring system, right? With the four different ways to score. Yeah. But but it, you, you do pick it up fast, but, but you're right. It's, I mean, I kind of wish it was there somewhere. So, some easy way to keep track of it. Fortunately, it's only four. <laughs> um, you know, it plays great solo. It, it's a two-player game also. It plays great two-player. No difference. And if Here, you, like, you get more boxes and do... Yep. 18, 20, 40, 90, 100. Yeah, the with more the, people with you the online the one, more... you can actually copy the game ID and share it with a friend and say, hey, I got 33, beat that. Yep, that's cool. That's neat. Yep. Now, this one, it is easy to compare at the end of the game and see what people did differently because you don't have to move anything afterwards. Right. Absolutely. Um... Um, final thoughts, right? So, so you mentioned in the other game the cost was twenty five dollars. Here, the game is a little harder to find. It it is not really easily available in the U.S., so there are a few retailers that have it, and you can find it on BGG. I it's think. also available for those who are curious. It's available on Game Surplus for twenty dollars in stock right now. Yep, and you can find if you're not in the U.S. and Europe. I think it's pretty easy to find. You can go to Amazon Day, for example. I was looking there earlier that I couldn't forgot the website too well because it's in German but <laughs> but it is available elsewhere as a matter of fact the copy I got um, somebody I don't recall who it is now in the US decided they wanted a copy so they ordered a bunch of copies from Germany and, and did a bulk order basically and I was able to get it that way um, and that came out relatively cheap I don't remember exactly I think it was, it was probably close to 20 I don't remember if it was say 18 or if it was 21 but it was about the same price there more or less and that worked out pretty well um, and so the one person got all the copies in their house and then remailed it to everybody. You know, I'm when I when the when the offer was made, I didn't know what the game was. I said, "Yeah, I've heard the name. I'll jump in. Let's get it. Why not?" And I'm really glad I did. I've had a lot of fun playing this. I've played it a bunch. Every once I'll pull I'll pull it out and just play three or four games and put it away. Um. So yeah. So pros. Um. It's fast and simple. I I do yeah. like the fact that it has more variety in scoring than number nine. I think that's a pro. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's got a theme. Yeah, it's got a theme. <laughs> number number nine doesn't have a theme, so the stuff does make sense. You you feel like you're doing something as opposed to just being completely abstract. It looks pretty. It looks nice on the table, and it it's something. It's not completely abstract, and that's the pro I would give it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Cons, you know, it's a little bit hard to get. We mentioned that already. Right. Um, and for me, that's the big con is it's just not intuitive to play because with number nine, you told me the rules in three seconds and I knew it. With this one, you tell me it wasn't like, wait, do you have a reference card? Do you have a something? Like, I got to figure <laughs> out how, who does what, does where, how, what? Yeah. 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 You're right. That That is a bit trickier. Absolutely. Uh, you know. Just just to be a pain, I'm going to complain that this one's box is too small. 
since the other one was too big. <laughs> <laughs> too big, and, too happy. Man, I feel like I'm a Roblox story. <laughs> it isn't tr- really too small. It, it's just snug. Everything's going to fit snugly in. It's got an insert. You can throw out the insert if you don't want to deal with the snugness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, actually, I'm happy with the size. There's no expansions for this, though, and I can't imagine there'll, there'll be any. Yeah, right. Um, any cons for you? You already mentioned the, the complexity. That was, your, that's yep. only my big con is just that it's, yep, yep. there's no real indication to make the different scoring types intuitive. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I give it a thumbs up. Not as much of a thumbs up for me as number nine. Like number nine feels to me, um, you know, it's it's like eating candy to me is number nine. Number nine is like eating candy to me. (laughs) And limes to me feels like, I don't know, eating chips. And I guess I'd rather have candy over (laughs) chips. That really explains it well. (laughs) I mean, it really does because to number nine, it it Um, just – I put it down and it just flows and it goes really smooth. But for me with limes, and again, all my interaction with it have been through this online version that haven't been able to get it. Mm-hmm. But as simple of a game as it is, I think that I can get a pretty good feeling just based on the online one for this lack of intuitiveness about how that works. And okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny for me. I, I think I prefer this one. Because I got it first and I've played it a bunch before I ever played number nine. So it's already very familiar and very comfortable. That could be. No, yeah. I just started playing it recently really just in order for – because for those who don't know behind the lines, uh, I picked number nine and Albert picked limes. And so we both decided we'll play the other person's game. <laughs> yeah, basically. You know, you can't go wrong with either one. If you're looking for a fun, light, really simple game, you can't go wrong. They're both They're both good. I just prefer number nine over limes. Yep. Okay. You know what? I'm kind of curious. Let's hear from the listeners. Which do you guys prefer, limes or number nine? Who's right and who's wrong? Because we tend to be competitive on here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. And so, so you know, I wanted to talk about a few other games that are similar to these in the in style. Um, oh, I you are I, totally off the notes here. What are you doing? No, jump to the end of the notes. Oh, look, it's there. I was not aware of this. Yes. Okay. Surprise. Go for it, Albert. Tell me. Tell me about these. So so there's a few other games that are, are similar. So Take It Easy is the first one I've ever come across. It's the oldest one by far. It's from 1983 by Ravensburger, and it is available as an app. My wife has it, and she likes to play that, and my kids play that on her iPad. Um, in it, the, you have these hex-shaped tiles, and you have a hex-shaped board that I think is something like six on, a, on each side. Um, the tiles have lines going across it, from one end to the opposite end so it has three lines on each tile you know and they cross each other and they're different colors and the idea is to place these tiles on the board as you draw them everybody's getting the same tile each time right so everybody plays number seven then everybody plays number three and so on whatever and you'll score any line that from end to end is a single color if you end up having to place a line such that it changes colors that one doesn't score anything um so pretty simple um, again, it's, you know, it's really similar. It's, you're going to place your tiles and see how you scored. It's super abstract because you're just doing it based on the colors. Um, the different tiles have different numbers on them, if I remember right, and are going to score different points. Some are really good and some are not so good. So you, you want to try and complete the better ones if you can. Um, the second game that I know of is Cities. Published by Z-Man in 2008, I don't know who published it originally. It is also by Martineff, just like Limes. And as a matter of fact, when I got Limes and I read the rules, I said, oh, wait a minute, this is Cities. I know this game already. It's super familiar. I knew exactly how it worked. Because it is really a re-implementation of Cities. Or Limes is a re-implementation. The scoring tiles are a little bit different. um, But it's basically the same game. Cities was a a one-to-four player game. So it brought enough for four people to play. If you got multiple copies, more people could play. Um, I like the idea of cities because I've always thought that the the concept of a city is just really fascinating to me, and how they're all different, and how they each have their own history and feel to them. But the the game loses most of that, unfortunately. Next up is in two thousand nine, a year later, Fits by Ravensburger F I T S. This is another Tetris type game. This is interesting because everybody is going to place Tetris piece on a board. And you place it at the top, and it slides down as far as it could go until it gets locked. So it's really, a physical version of Tetris. It is a physical version Tetris, of Tetris, yes. It is Tetris <laughs> in real world. Yep. And so everybody's going to 
play the thing. Now, what's different here, though, there is a starting tile that's different for each person. Um, so it isn't exactly the same because you start with a different tile. And so when that, that tile shows up later for everybody else, if you already place it first, you're not going to place it again. Um, but, yeah, other than that, again, it's the same game. Everybody's in the same thing, the same order. Trying to get yeah, the high I actually score. found a copy of this at a thrift store a oh, nice. of years ago. Yep. Um, and it's not like it's not whole. So you, in order to you could play two players, but you have to mix the two colors to do. It. Oh, no way. <laughs> but that's OK. So you just play it two players. But I don't think I don't even know where that copy is anymore. Ah, OK. Because it was it was kind of beat up. But I was like, oh, that looks different. So it, it, it's a neat game and it's hard. There's four levels to it and each level gets scores different. And it's tricky. It's, it's a neat game. I play it with my kids every once in a while. It's been a little while, though. Next up, Don Quixote by Pegasus Spiel in 2010. Um, this is different in that you're going to have a set of tiles to play. And if I remember correctly, each player is going to have different tiles to play each turn. What is the same is which space they get to play each turn. Um, so you'll draw a card and it'll tell you place it in space A5. And now you look at the ones you have available for this round. And you pick one and put it in A5. And the other person picks theirs and puts it in A5 and so on. And so here you're building a map. Um, it's sort of a little nonsensical. And, you know, again, sort of like cities or, or, or um, limes or whatever. The different things score differently. You score based on how many knights you have or, or how many windmills are connected and how many spaces from the castles you've got. And they're all different. Um, neat game. I like this one too. I think it may have covered it as a podcast a while back. I don't remember for sure though. Um, I've always meant to if I haven't. Mm-hmm. I, I do like this one a lot. And there is an app for it for Android. Um, I played the app. I don't remember too. I think it worked well. When I played it, I seem to remember having a little bit of trouble with it not working, but I think a lot of that got fixed up. Um, I don't think it was a free app. I think it was a, a small nominal price though. After Don Quixote, that was in 2010. The next one I know of is Limes in 2014, so that's a four-year gap. There's got to be more in there because they seem come out to come out every year or so. Um, then another game, not exactly the same, but I think it counts, is 30 Rails. It yes. was in the one-page print-and-play contest from 2016 because you could easily print out four copies and have four prints play using that same sort of we're all doing the same thing but differently idea. Yeah, talk a bit more about 30 Rails because – with this one, I remember playing this one when it was after the um, 2016 print and play um, contest was completed. And I haven't really followed much since then, so I don't know what's happened in 2017. But this one ranked really high in 2016. Essentially, you're rolling, two, I think it was two dice. Um, and so originally the two dice are used to determine sort of the restrictions of the board that it could work around. And from then on, the dice are being used to determine the type of tiles that you're putting onto the board. And this is a game that I really felt like it could have gone to publish on Kickstarter just as a simple actual tile game that you pull tiles out of a bag in, in solo form. Instead of having the dice, you just pull the tiles out. And I thought that would have been really neat. Um, and I, you know, this is another time where I feel like the the solid winners of those contests should could really go on to do something on Kickstarter and make actual published versions of these things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a it's a nice one to play. Yep, and I still see this being played on the solitary games on your table geek list every once in a while. It's definitely a popular game, and it doesn't need to be a print and play. Like I've seen some people who who make really <coughs> nice mockups <laughs> of it, and it could be a full game. Yeah, absolutely. You, you could do that with with tiles or something absolutely and mm-hmm. and and for print and play i mean it's about as easy as you get it's a one-page print and play contest so all you do is print out a sheet and you can play and if you don't feel like printing it out i mean you could just draw a grid on a sheet of paper six by six grid and i'll just print it off. it's gonna be a lot easier <laughs> well yeah it is <laughs> absolutely but you know very low barrier to entry no matter what yeah and finally the last one i mentioned is number nine from Abacus Spiel 2017, which we talked about already. And there's another one that comes to mind. Oh, Avenue or Avenue A or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Similar-ish game where you're similar to 30 Rails where you're drawing on the map. And uh, everybody's sort of doing the same thing but differently. I think that came out last year. And that was reprinted or is getting reprinted. I forget who's doing that. 
and the theme was changed slightly. But anyway, there you go. There's lots of these games. I bet you there's more. I would love to hear about more about these because these are neat games. They're all fun, and, and I love that we all do the same thing but differently. And they're all pretty fast games, in my experience. I think the slowest one is probably fits because you do four rounds. So there you go. That was, a, that, that was by the way, a really nice um, title for these type of games. Do the same but different. The same but different games. Yep. <laughs> Gosh, I, I know. There you go, one. Albert. You, you can get into marketing. You just have to work on it together. <laughs> I have to work on it a lot. <laughs> All right. So that is a show. Julius, take us out. Well, I feel like this has been nothing but the same, but different. (laughs) Good night, all. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. (laughs) I thought you were going to start singing Mambo Number 9 again, maybe, or something. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.